Ford Williams writes this, Clarence Jordan, who was a philosopher farmer in Americus, Georgia, was convinced that poor people living in dilapidated shacks could improve themselves with a little bit of support. I don't know if you've ever heard of Clarence Jordan. Um, and he, he decided to do something about it. He said that they don't need charity. He said to Millard Fuller, who visited Jordan's church community in Koinonia Farm, Chris's favorite word, they need a way to help themselves. Millard Fuller, 30, who was nearly a millionaire, was inspired by Jordan to begin what today is a worldwide organization to provide housing for the poor, Habitat for Humanity. How many of you have heard that word? It runs on what he calls the theology of the hammer. The group raises money and recruits volunteers to renovate and build homes which are sold at cost. Mortgages are interest-free to the qualified recipients. And Habitat now builds or renovates 12 houses every day, and it keeps on increasing from what I understand. So doing something about it, rather than wishing someone else would do something about it, is really the point of so much of what Jesus teaches and what the apostles teach in our Scripture passages, all throughout the Scriptures. That's really what he teaches. Really is what he teaches in the Old Testament as well. Our faith was meant to be put in practice, not simply experienced. And that's what we're going to see this morning. 1 John 3, 4 through 6. If you've got your Bibles, I always encourage you to have your Bibles. Uh, open them with me. 1 John 3, 4 through 6 says this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And if you can keep those verses up until I'm done with them, that would be great, guys. So in this section, John is driving home the distinction between the sinner and a righteous person. That's what he's doing here, right? But he's teaching this, this so we truly understand what it means to be a person who's consumed by righteousness. That's what he wants us to know. He wants us to understand what it means to be consumed by sin and consumed by righteousness. Remember, the whole way through John, he's been talking about this sin and righteousness. He wants you to understand what it means to be a person of God or a person of sin, and then how that, mean, how that works out. What does it mean for you to walk in Jesus' ways? John is consumed by that because he wants us to be consumed by that. See, John has lived a long life with Jesus Christ, and he is closing in on the end. And it's very interesting to me what John is passionate about. This is the disciple who was closest to Jesus. Notice what he is talking about and what he isn't talking about. And what he isn't talking about is awesome experiences in church.
He wants his congregation, his audience, to understand what it is to walk in faith. Now understand this part, because it's lost on a variety of the faithful. I've walked with Jesus for a long time. I officially gave my life to Jesus when I was 12 years old. I was baptized in the Spirit, or uh, released the power of the Spirit, or however, empowered by the Spirit, whichever group you come from, when I was 13. And so I've been in that for a long time. I grew up in an Episcopal church that was kind of the flagship church in the Episcopal church called Truro Episcopal Church. It was 3,000 people, and they would gather on Sunday mornings. Our church services would be about two hours to two and a half hours long, and they would have um, evangelical, they would have great preaching, and they would have speaking in tongues, or they would have all kinds of worship and stuff like that. We'd meet on Friday nights, and we had all that kind of stuff. But that church also put 50% of its budget into missions, into evangelism, into making a difference in the community. 50% of her budget went there. And in youth group, we were taught to be out in the community making a difference. That's what we did as a church. Uh, since then, I went into uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. When I was in college, Campus Crusade for Christ was an evangelical organization. There were no charismatics in Campus Crusade for Christ. They also were a huge organization. Not a single charismatic, well, there were charismatics, but we didn't express it. It was a very different organization, and they also made a difference for Jesus. They shared their faith relentlessly, and person after person came to Jesus, and they pushed us to make a difference for Jesus as well. In my time as a Christian, in the time that I've walked, I've been in so many different contexts, liturgical churches, Pentecostal churches. I've been in Baptists and Assemblies of God. I've been in non-denominations of all flavors and the Presbyterian Church of America, which oversaw Kelly and I while we were in seminary. The seminary we were in, of course, had a lot of people from all over the nation and all over the world because it was a, one of the top seminaries in the world, right? So Reformed Theological Seminary, wherever you go, anybody knows about it. And so we had people from all over the world coming in. And there were a lot of Reformed Baptists, of course, and a lot of Reformed Presbyterians. And so I got to understand them well, even though I was an Anglican. And of course, we are in a denomination that's the third to fourth largest in the world, depending how you count it, with members of all types all over the world. So when we gather together in community, I get to meet with Africans, and Asians, and Europeans, and South Americans, and of all types. I get to meet with Anglo-Catholics, and Evangelicals, and Charismatics, and people of all flavors, from all backgrounds. And just like I've told you that there are believers, not all Anglicans believe this way, but there are some Anglicans in all types of churches who believe that theirs is the only way to worship, so I can tell you that there are believers in every type of church that think theirs is the way to worship, right? There are Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals and whatever that think their church is the only way. Theirs is the way. There are also believers of every type of belief that think theirs is the way. Evangelicals that think theirs is the way. Pentecostals that think theirs is the way. Charismatics that think theirs is the way. And as a pastor, we deal with this 
all of the time. At seminary, I ran into different types, if you can believe this, different types of Reformed evangelicals who would look down on other Reformed evangelicals. If you were in one camp or another camp, you looked down on that camp because my camp was the best camp. Mike and I would debate sometimes, and we would have debates over should infants be baptized or not. And one of us was better than the other, and Mike knows which, right? And then when I got out, I found that a lot of people looked down on Reformed believers because Wesleyans and Arminians didn't think we were Christians a lot of times. Once I got out of seminary, I found that uh, Charismatics looked down on Reformed people. Evangelicals would look down on Charismatics. They were immature in the faith. They were wide-eyed and radical. They only they went by the seat of their pants. If they had a pizza that made them feel a certain way, that's the way they went, right? And then I grew up in a charismatic church, right? And so charismatics would look down on evangelicals. They're immature in their faith. If they only had what we had, these gifts of the Spirit, then they would be mature. And then I ran into Anglicans and liturgical folks who look down on evangelicals as immature because they don't have liturgy. And evangelicals, of course, look down on, cares, on liturgical people because they had liturgy and they weren't free in the spirit or if they're evangelicals free to worship as we do. Anyone, everyone, everywhere looks down upon others because they're not like me. They aren't mature like us. The Church of Christ, Roman Catholics, and Eastern Orthodox, did you know, each consider themselves the only true church. They're the only true church. When we get to heaven, which of those are going to be there, right? And which of us are not? Because they're the only true church. There are also other only true churches out there. Yeah, I met with a pastor one time from Wisconsin Lutheran Synod, or the Wisconsin, yeah, Lutheran Synod. For two years, he wouldn't pray with me at lunch because I didn't agree exactly with him. And so not only could I not take communion with him, I couldn't even pray with him at lunch. If only the other groups were like me then they would all experience true Christianity. Have you felt like that? Do you think like that? What groups do you look down upon? I bet you look down on somebody. I bet there's a group that you think you're better than. Well, the apostles all dealt with divisions in the early church as well. In fact, most of the epistles are written to correct churches struggling with divisions. Almost every single one is. First and second Corinthians were hard rebukes to churches struggling in these areas. John and Paul both teach their audiences that are deep truths that must be grasped and practiced as believers are, if believers are to walk in this faith. Without them, you simply can't walk forward. 1 Corinthians offers a stinging rebuke to charismatics. It says, look, y'all are out of control if you think that your gifts make you superior to anybody. Out of control. But there's another group there that thinks their wisdom and their learning makes them superior to others. And he says, you're out of control there. What does he say at the end? It is love that binds us. Love is the key. Love is the main thing. 
love and unity. We are the body of Christ, and the hand cannot say to the eye or to the nose or to the other parts that you are less significant. You missed the point. And then he goes on to teach. It's not about this and that. He says, in fact, that I wish I would speak five intelligible words in church rather than tongues. Ouch! I wish that every charismatic church would memorize that verse. And I speak that as a charismatic. But he also then, at the beginning, slams those who are philosophical, who are theological, who hide in the intellectual. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God, he says. He slams the other side. Don't hide in that, he says. Don't hide in that. We're to be doers, not just hearers. We're to be doers, not just experiencers. We are to be doers. Here, too, John is driving home in verse after verse what it means to be a true believer. And then what it means to be a true believer is to practice righteousness. Practicing it means living it out. In other words, being a Christian means living out your faith as Jesus taught us to live our faith. I've had multiple conversations this week, one with the guy who was training me, in Australia, a couple others with members of various members of the congregation. What is it that St. Andrews is about? The Australian pastor put that to me. What is it that St. Andrews is about? So did other people in the congregation. What is it that we are about? We are about preaching and teaching the word and living it out. We have been teaching from the beginning that the word of God is to be lived out in the community. We preach it and we teach it and then we want you to go out and live it. Are you living it? Are you putting it into practice? St. Andrew was about what? He was the first evangelist. When was the last time you shared your faith with anybody? Are you a hearer of the word, or are you a doer? Or are you both? We're called to be both, not just a hearer, but a doer. Being a Christian means to live out your faith as Jesus taught us to live out our faith. And this is where Paul and John and really Peter are well as well are unified with Jesus. In Corinth, they had become so enthralled with the experience of the miraculous gifts or the philosophical speculation on theology that they forgot to actually practice their faith and make a difference in the community. In Peter's community, they were struggling with persecution and their faith was meeting tough times as they actually had to put it into practice in difficult circumstances. You see, in Peter's community, they were fleeing the faith because they were under persecution. Not a Roman persecution, but common persecution, and that meant their faith, the rubber had to meet the road, and a lot of them were meeting the road and not using their faith to do it. But here in John, he tells us 
what we need to do in our daily faith when we're not being persecuted. And it turns out that our daily walk as believers, in our daily walk, the process is extremely simple. Learn God's ways and do them. Read your Bible and follow it. Are you doing it? Are you following it? Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. That's what he says. The word for lawlessness here is anomian, or not the law. Everyone who practices sin practices not doing the law. Basically, doesn't do what Scripture tells us. You've got to work at not doing what God says to be a practicer of sin. In John, 1 John 3, 6-8, it says, No one who abides in him or dwells in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Pretty clear, pretty straightforward. You practice righteousness, you practice what Scripture says, you're of God. You don't practice it, you find yourself constantly living lawlessly, anomian, not of the law. You constantly practice things that aren't of God. You are of who? Say it louder. It's clear. The devil exists, you are of him. You're one or the other. The word of God is a two-edged sword. You cannot stand on it. It cuts you in half. You're on one side or the other. Are you practicing God's word or are you playing at it? What he's saying here is not really doing the Mosaic law, and this is where people get confused. It's actually living out the faith as God would have us live it out. It becomes more than simply seeking experiences, and this is where American Christianity often falls short. We tend to look for a comfortable, a comfortable Christian lifestyle where we don't actually have to make a difference in people's lives. We look to church to excite us in a variety of ways, and that may be through, and I, I in my time, I've seen this. Look, I see people looking to church for a, um, for a powerful liturgical experience. They want me like in gold or all these trappings, and they want a powerful liturgical experience, and that's going to help them get there. They need the Eucharist. They need all these different things, and that's going to help them get to God. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad. I've got other people who say, no, I need, I need lights down, long periods of worship so I can raise my hands and really get emotive, really get this emotional, passionate experience. That's going to get me there. Other people say, no, I need really powerful preaching. That's going to get me there. Some people say, I need, no, I need Bible-thumping legalism. I need to walk out of this church feeling guilty and beaten up every time. And that's going to get me there. Other people say, no, I need to feel great when I walk out of this church 
every single time. That's going to get me there. And one guy, when I was in St. Clements, a former church that I was at, he was diehard charismatic, and he would talk about the Spirit fell on this church, and then it fell on that church, and then the Spirit left, and I would jump from this church to that church to this church, wherever the Holy Ghost was leading. The Holy, the Holy Ghost never led him to be committed to any group, right? It was just wherever I felt the Holy Ghost going. And that's where I was supposed to go. He was really searching for feeling and emotion. And that's where he went. Other people were looking for like a community. But then when anyone had some kind of difficult moment, they would run. And that's what they were looking for. We all have these things that we're looking for. But what does John say? It's practicing God's word. It's doing it. This is the community that you work with and you grow with through thick or thin and then you turn outwards and you go out and you do. And the more you do out there, the more tired and worn out you get, the more you'll crawl in here and you'll seek worship and you'll seek God and you'll need the different things and you'll want the fellowship and you'll want the devotion and things like that at any church you're at, not just this church, any church you're at. We're called to do these things. We're called to fill up and then leave these walls and to go out and to make a difference. That's what Jesus did, and that's what all the apostles did, and that's what all the followers of Christ did, and that's how the church became a massive world religion. They didn't do it by accident. That's why the gifts of the Spirit were given to us, by the way. That's why we practice them. The miraculous and the non-miraculous. As I've grown in my faith through the decades, the one thing I've come to realize is that experiences are definitely helpful. They are needed, but they can very quickly become a crutch. They can also become the focus of the faith for too many people. John, Paul, and Peter spend much of their epistles pointing out the errors of this thinking, and John shows it here. We're called to practice, meaning live into the ways of Jesus. Jesus was a doer of the word, and he was out there making a difference. So this morning, if you're here or you're watching at home, if you're making a difference, or are you making a difference in your community for Jesus? Are you helping the poor and the needy? Are you helping orphans and widows? Are you helping your neighbor? Are you preaching the gospel to others? Are you sharing your faith with those around you? Are you thinking about starting ministries here or out there? Are you thinking about chipping into ministries here or out there? If not, I would encourage you to begin to pray to the Lord, to ask him to show you where you can, what you can do. And that just means different obstacles. I mean, if you're a mom at home with kids, that's tough, right? Maybe your ministry is going to be praying and just doing a little bit. Maybe it's going to be sharing the faith with other moms. 
if you're older and you're retired, then you've got a lot more time to volunteer to get out there to make a difference, right? If you're a dad at work, then maybe it's making a difference with the guys you go to lunch with. Or maybe it's making a difference <clears throat> doing a missions trip here or there, or getting involved in a club where you can do it. Or when you're out on the ball field talking about Jesus to some of the guys or the men and women that you get to know, inviting them over. However it is, begin to reach out, begin to think about, begin to pray for openings and opportunities and ways that you can make a difference and see how God does it. I'll end with this. James 1, to 25, another leader in the church. If you don't believe anything else I've said, believe this. <clears throat> but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer,